Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 153, week 153, volume 153, number fucking 153. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Bo of Harm's Way and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. The first one, as a lot of you may or may not have noticed, we had to miss a week last week, no show last week. Unfortunately, amongst the chaos of moving house, the ability to spend some time free to do the podcast was unavailable, but thank you all for your understanding, thank you for the kind messages, thank you for the well wishes. Really, really appreciated. To say the move is chaotic is an understatement. A couple of you guys asked for a little backstory as to what's been going on. So, start of 2020, the wife and I sold our house. We moved into a rental. and We spent all of last year building a house. Now, due to COVID, due to other delays, instead of taking, you know, six months, it's taken over a year. So last week we got to move in. We're still moving. We're still adjusting, still unpacking. Got a lot of landscaping to do. Got a lot of shit to do around the house. But never fear, guys. The podcast is back. We're back rolling. We're back moving. We're back to our usual schedule. So as I said, a lot of you got in contact. And i got to say, thank you, guys. You're a bunch of fucking nice people. Really appreciate all the messages, inboxes. Just Phenomenal. Thank you for caring and thank you for showing that you care. Now, amongst the chaos, I was supposed to start the single of the week and album of the week this week, but to be honest, I have not been able to consume any music this week. So we will start it. We will start it very soon. But enough of that. I've rambled on for far too long. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Bo of Harm's Way. First thing I'm going to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Harm's Way? Well, if you do not know who the fuck Harm's Way is, time to wake up, time to get educated. Band formed around 2006 four EPs and four albums to their name. This music is intense, sonically intimidating, sexy as fuck. A simple way of describing it is a sledgehammer to your face hardcore, and I fucking love it. So to say I'm a fan of the band, that's a fucking obvious one. Bo was an outstanding guest. Great conversation here. One of my favourites I've done in recent memory. I enjoyed every minute of this. I hope you do too. That chat with Bo is coming up now. Everyone gets the same question to start off with. And do you remember a band as a kid that exposed you to music? You know, for me it was, for some reason, around the age of five or six. I don't know why, but I became obsessed with Aerosmith. So was there, a, was there a band for you at a young age that you gravitated towards? Uh, yeah, but I have to swing back to Aerosmith after I explain. Yeah, here you um, go. For me, it was Led Zeppelin. 
Mm-hmm. My dad, my dad's a musician. He's like a, a recording artist, and he was always into, you know, he was never into like a class. He wasn't a classic rock guy, but he was a a musician kind of guy. So Led Zeppelin was always in like heavy rotation along with, I don't know. He was he. My dad's weirdo. He's into like the Allman Brothers and Steely Dan and shit, but. He was really into Zeppelin, and that was like the first band where I would like get a record, Houses of the Holy in particular, and I would just like listen to it nonstop while playing like legitimately Nintendo 64 because that's what was out at the time. You know, like I was just full on into Led Zeppelin. That was my first, my first big obsessed thing when it came to music. So then, I mean, you mentioned Aerosmith for yourself. I mean, I mean, what were you? So for anyone, for anyone listening to this who know who knows me, especially anyone who like comes to my my Twitch thing, Aerosmith is on. They are third on my top three most hated bands on the planet. <laughs> so it's very fitting and funny that that that's the first question and that's the reference. This <laughs> is fucking Aerosmith. For the record, it's Red Hot Chili Peppers, White Stripes, Aerosmith. Unbelievable. Wow. Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think, uh, would definitely be in my top five. I haven't listened to Aerosmith since I was probably about seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So I don't Mm -hmm. know where they would be now. Um, Probably lucky I haven't, uh, you know, subjected myself to it. Um, (laughs) I think the reason for me with Aerosmith was they were all over fucking VH1 and MTV when I was young. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So you're, you know, you're in a household where music is prevalent. It's around and in many ways you're exposed to it just naturally. Where's your discovery go from listening to Led Zeppelin while playing the 64? I mean, how do you take mm-hmm. steps in finding other music? Um, another, probably the next big bridge band, which like I'm not embarrassed to say or whatever. It was like my next obsession pretty much through middle school was Blink-182. Mm. Um, Enema of the State came out when I was in fifth grade, so into sixth grade. And I was I was also into, I was into like new metal at the time, like radio new metal. You know, like I liked Kid Rock and like <laughs> fucking, you know, corn and shit. Um, Chicago had a, a music station called Q101. And growing up, that was just like the only alternative station. So my mom and I would always listen to, Q101 all the time. So you, you know, lots of, lots of that new metal shit. And then lots of like Nirvana, Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and Nine Inch Nails for some reason was played all the time. And, um, I don't know. I, I, somehow something came out. I think it maybe was coming of age. Maybe it was the American pie movie. I don't know what it was, but I just like something kind of clicked. I was just like, Oh, Blink-182 is like, they're both, there's like good songwriting and harmonies, at least on the record. And, you know, and it's like punk for a fifth grader. What the fuck do I know? You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is what I'm into. Like, th- this is, here it is. This is the next thing. And, uh, you know, that went on for a little bit. And and I talk about this all the time, but there was a, a Blink-182, like behind this, like a home video. Bands used to do like home video mm-hmm movies right and uh pantera has like a well-known one every time i die has one where it's just like tour stories and a couple live sets and like whatever and blink 182 had one and there's a part where 
Tom is getting interviewed and he's just like, yeah, we, we were, you know, at first we were into all the, the typical punk bands, Descendants, Minor Threat and Bad Brains. And, uh, and he just like starts, no, no effects. He starts lifting, listing off bands. And I was like, oh, well, I should check out those bands. Hmm. Like, clearly that's like the route I need to go, blah, blah, blah. And when I checked out those bands, I fucking hated them because I was into melody. I was into Led Zeppelin and the Blink-182. I like melody, you know? And um, right around that time, but I also started playing guitar. I got my first guitar when I was 10 um, from my dad and started playing guitar, learned what a power chord was, started learning Blink songs, you know? And then uh, I moved. Uh, my parents had been divorced since I was a, a child, since I was a baby. And my mom and I moved around a bunch. And by the time I was right at that, right at that age or fifth grade, like right around then, I moved to this town I, I ended up spending most of my young adult life in um, until I moved to the city. And it's where I also met Chris, who plays drums in harm's way. He's a year older than me. So when I was in fifth grade, he was already into our middle school, which is at a different location. But he lived like there was a pond behind my house and Chris lived. He had the, the other side of the pond behind his house. So we lived you know, across a pond from each other. And just through, you know, word of mouth and music and stuff, we became aware of each other. I don't even remember how, but Chris was actually into actual punk rock and, and his, and like bits of hardcore and stuff. Cause he had an older brother who was into it. So that's when I discovered the next big thing was like no effects, AFI anti-flag was big. And, uh, the misfits and the misfits was like the game changer for me. And that's when I, I got more into, I can, I could talk about the misfits for fucking hours because they are, I think the most important American, like underground band, like the, the most influential, the biggest, the most amazing band to me. They like blow my mind. Um, but once I, I didn't realize that at the time, obviously, uh, but once I got into them, then it was like, oh, they have fast stuff. They have catchy stuff. They have like weird stuff. They have ha a heavy record. You know, they're like maniacs. They were only a band for four and a half years. Ah, you know, I just kind of lost my mind. And then from there, it was that right around the time that that happened was like LimeWire and Kazaa and, and getting into illegal music downloading and getting into finding out what hard like actual hardcore was and kind of running with it from there. So did you kind of, you know, when you're getting into the Blink stuff and all of this and fifth grade and that, do you start uh, associating or calling yourself a punk in, in in the word as well? Like were you skating, doing any of these things? Because a yeah. lot of kids at this age, they start gravitating with their identity towards the music yeah. they're listening to. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know what else was out at the time was Jackass. Oh, yeah. Jackass was huge, huge here, as I'm sure it was there. It was huge within my age group. I'm sure we were the demographic. I don't know. I'm 33. I don't know how old you are. 38, so it was as well. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, there you go. You know, that was fucking huge. And um, I, uh, the Jackass guys were always wearing Misfit shirts, and there was always a Misfit song or like a, you know, I, I don't even remember. I can't think off the top of my head of all the stuff that was in the show and then eventually the movies or whatever. But like the punk thing was always kind of there. And it tied into skateboarding. It tied into. You know, I was from I had a single single parent mom growing up my entire life and I wanted to be a little rebel. I was 
wasn't happy with my home life and stuff, you know? So it like tied into that. It tied into like, I wasn't very good at sports or anything like that. So it was like, of course, when you're young, it's like you're either into sports or you're a a fucking punk loser, man. You know, like that was it. And it all just kind of neatly wrapped up together, you know? So, yeah, I definitely called myself a punk. I also found out about straight edge when I was 13 and immediately started calling myself straight edge because I realized at the time, at least at the time I was like, well, there's nothing more punk than being like, anti drugs and shit because that's like so synonymous with what punk rock is. I I thought it was like cool. And I was just like, Oh, well that's for me. Like that works. And that was kind of my motivation at the beginning. I didn't really know what it was. I really didn't know the backstory, you know? I mean, I, I obviously stuck with it. So whatever, but it, that was, it was all around the same time, all around that 13 to 14 couple years span. It was nothing but skating and making goofy like home videos with my friends trying to get a show on MTV, you know, and um, listening, getting into music and downloading just gigabytes of libraries and stuff on SoulSeek and all that shit. So how did you discover, you know, how did you become aware of Straight Edge at 13? Because a lot of kids probably don't realize about it at that age. They might find out in their late teens, you know, like 16, 17. Yeah. Um, well, again, I was getting into it really young and Chris knew about it and Chris quickly became like my older brother. And it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, well, a couple of the guys, at least at the time, the rumor was a couple of the guys in, in anti-flag are straight edge or don't drink and Davey Havoc is straight edge and Jade from AFI is straight edge. And, you know, uh, they're all into minor threat and minor threat came up with it. And it was just kind of one of those things where it was just like, it was like, look, we're fucking 13 anyway, and I'd much rather be skating or playing WWF video games than fucking trying to steal vodka from under the sink where my mom used to keep it, which I did a couple times before then, but I, you know, whatever. But like, you know, I was a kid and I just thought it was cool. I just thought it was like different and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was anti the anti, which I thought was kind of cool and I don't know. I don't know. It seemed like a, because it's funny too, because it was before ever going to shows or anything, uh, at least going to hardcore shows. I went to, I went to my first show when I was 13, but it wasn't at all a hardcore show or anything. So it's like, it's not even like I found like some little group that I identified with. I just thought the premise was cool. And obviously, obviously over the years, you've grown stronger in your belief. I mean, that's a natural progression. Um, is it, it's something now that, you know, some people find that it's just part of them. They don't necessarily use it as a label because there are people that use it as a label and there's some people that don't. So where are you now in your life with straight edge? Uh, I, I mean, I'll always call myself straight edge, even when I'm on my deathbed, not to sound overly dramatic because that's just kind of something that I choose to be the same as, as like. I, you know, if you think of yourself as a leftist or a right or a, a right wing person or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, this is what I agree with. It's it's what I am. But I don't necessarily give a shit if that matter if that mm. makes a difference. Like, mm. I know what I'm going to do. I know the path I'm on and I'm more than comfortable with it. But I also like couldn't care less about it at this point. I mean, this year, if you count me being a 13 year old kid calling myself straight edge, this year is my 20th year of being straight edge. And like, 
I you go as you said you you do you get more into it, but then I think that waxes and wanes um, because surely like the first ten years is when you're like really gung ho, and then you kind of start to chill out and you kind of start to realize like, dude, who fucking cares? Like the reason. I didn't even talk about this yet, but the reason I I was actually really into it, I I almost forgot because it's been so long since I've thought about that aspect was because my dad was a total fuck up and ruined his life and my mom's life and my life for quite a long time because he couldn't handle his addiction. And then my mom also struggled with her own while I was growing up. And it was a very unhappy situation and it was, it was very ugly. And I think that's just an easy thing to be like, what is going to get me away from that? What is going to get me away from the pressures of being 16 and knowing that some of your peers are going to be into it and maybe you're not brave enough to just say no. Maybe you need something to like, I don't know, gravitate towards that'll kind of be there. And it would just all, it all really wrapped. It wasn't like a conscious, like, okay, I'm going to do this because that no one can do this because I know that I'm going to be straight edge and no one's going to like, I didn't, think about it that way it was just all kind of like oh this sounds cool and it, that works for me i'm gonna stick with that hmm. and that's just kind of how it unraveled you know yeah and a lot of people uh, i've spoken to you know it took me very late in life to become sober myself but you know a lot of people i know have the same tragic thing that there was something going on at home or that they saw that, you know, kind of reverts them down that path. Um, yeah, while, I'm, while we're on the subject of straight edge, you know, it's something that I've noticed some people sometimes label harm's way. Um, is that something that you think is a necessary label or a deterring label? Because I think it's unnecessary with bands, you know, in 2021 to say that band's straight edge i think you just need to consume that band and if you discover their straight edge it's a bonus i think if anyone is looking at genre descriptions or written tone descriptions or identities of the members or or their proclivities towards the kind of activities they're into outside of the music if that's turning anyone away then they didn't really give a shit about the music in the first place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't really i don't really care and if anyone asks, of course, I will call Harm's Way a straight edge band. Full disclosure, you know, there are two members in the band currently who are not straight edge. They mm. joined the band in 2018. Mm. But James, Chris, and I, who are all the original members of the band, are all still straight edge. As well as the two, well, actually, the one other guy who started the band, John from Weekend Nachos, is also still straight edge. So it's not even something that I like. Again, I don't give a shit. But I also am not ashamed or like afraid to admit that like, yeah, we're a fucking straight edge band. This is a this is a positive band with a positive message, even though it might be exerted with aggression and Mm. anger, you know, that could still be a positive thing. And a lot of the lyrics, especially, obviously, that's kind of the only way you're going to convey the the mindset. A lot of James lyrics, as he writes, 98 percent of all the lyrics are are finding strength within yourself. I mean, look at the guy. He he found physical strength within himself. I know, you know, from personal life stuff that he's found mental strength within himself and and gotten through a lot of shit. And that's all the same thing. It all ties together because we all agreed even at a young ignorant age that what this could lead to indulging in whatever 
what that could lead to could be really dangerous or it could not be. You'd be fine and you'd be a total social drinker guy, you know, but it, it doesn't like it's all it's all wrapped into one thing for us. Mm. And it, it no, I don't think you're going to see a harm's way straight edge shirt, you know, ever again. But they're out there and they exist. And it's in no way like something we like shy from or whatever, you know. Well, but, but, um, well, I'm glad you don't shy from it. Uh, speaking of shirts, you know, don't want to get off the path too much, but yeah, you, <laughs> you guys recently put up a few shirts. Um, I think it's like a picture of Metallica with uh, Harm's Way. Um, <laughs> are, are we well, <laughs> are we going to get that? I want that. I actually want that fucking shirt. And I know oh, Twitching Tongues we- did uh, a mock back on. I think it was a picture of you guys with Twitching Tongues. So. Uh, that was a joke. That was just a joke. I, it was, uh, I can't even remember why the Metallica picture was posted, but someone put our old label onto it and I just retweeted it because I thought it was funny (laughs) as much as I would love to do that. Metallica is my favorite band, probably just after the misfits. I I absolutely love most eras of Metallica, but like, unfortunately there is a level of, self-seriousness that the band <laughs> tries to maintain and unfortunately i don't think we could do that shirt as much as i would love to do a fucking God. mission impossible era metallica shirt oh i disappear style oh yes yeah, please exactly. oh oh well let's 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 come back i was just you know, you know hoping <laughs> um speaking of those kind of shirts you know shout out to uh, my boys from sheffield malevance who did a uh, they did the far no great southern trend kill artwork with malevance above the top. Um, oh, I see, I see. And they did they did the hate breed logo, you know, with the flames around it, but with malevance inside the logo. So yeah, you know, we this is funny. A few years ago, after we after the last foundation show, we we played their last show in Atlanta. And we made, uh, that's probably the last straight edge thing we made. We made a youth of today ripoff shirt that has just harm's way, but it's got like the, a fist with an X on it. And it's, it's just a straight up youth of today, uh, break down the walls, ripoff shirt. (laughs) And, uh, we we posted it online and some, some guy, I I don't even, I'm not even gonna say where he's from or whatever. Some guy was like, does this band ever come up with anything original and like what and like included picture we did a bolt thrower rip one time and we did a typo rip one time and then we had this thing and then there was like a michael jordan we we did a shirt that just had michael jordan on it and the guy had the nerve to tag someone from one of the bands that we ripped it off of and be like can you believe this and Uh. the guy was like i can't believe the fucking nerve and it was just like dude what so then one of our guys at the time took the original dudes like does this band ever make anything uh original took his tweet and mocked it up on a shirt <laughs> it looks great but uh yeah i don't know i think the the rip thing for a while it was really hot mm. and you would make we would make we would make one a tour and it would sell really well and then i think after a while that just kind of gets played out and i can't I don't know. You know, there's trends in, in merch design, just like anything else. So they kind of go up and down in popularity. Wow. Yeah. Everyone listening, let's just 
hound the boys from harm's way to do the Metallica one. Eventually, <laughs> maybe. Eventually, maybe we might get it. I know trends come and go, but I need that one. <laughs> I need to wear that one to work. Um, so let's get back to, you know, guitar. And yeah. you were talking about, you know, around the age of, you know, 10 to 13-ish, I think you said that you got your first guitar and you were learning power chords. What were you like with the guitar at an early age? Were you relying on lessons or were you the kind of kid that just sat in your room and played around until you figured things out? Oh, yeah. No, I, I my dad showed me, my dad gave me one lesson uh, when he gave me the guitar. He just showed me kind of how to hold it, where your your left thumb should be positioned. I'm, I'm right-handed, so my left hand is my fretting hand. Kind of, you know, how you should position yourself, how you should... Uh, hold the pick, how you tune, that kind of thing. And he showed me maybe a G and a D chord. Um, it was a little white Squire Strat. Again, Tom DeLong. And, you know, yeah, I just sat in my room and figured stuff out. And I definitely learned Blink-182 songs. I definitely learned Misfit songs. I definitely carved SXE for Straight Edge into the back of that guitar. I, at one point, when I when I was 13, when I graduated middle school so going into high school my first year my dad as a graduation gift got me my first like good guitar he got me a les paul studio and it's a really really nice guitar or it was it got stolen on a convicted tour mm. but um that was the first like real guitar i got and that's also when i got into i had gotten into started getting into like youth crew and into carry on and like more of the the current Los Angeles hardcore bands at the time and namely terror. And that's when I got really into like palm muting and figuring out how to do triplets. I learned how to do triplets to spit my rage Ooh. and, uh, and raining blood, like two separate songs, obviously. But I like, I learned how to do it. And my dad, my dad heard me practicing it one day. And, you know, like I said, he's a steely Dan kind of guy. And he was like, well, they only had to do it one time in the studio, huh? <laughs> like just <laughs> not even believing that someone could play, you know, spit my rage that fast or that well. But yeah, I used to, I remember there were three records, man. There, I, I used to get home from school, used to grab my guitar and in my, cause my mom, I was a latchkey kid, which my mom wouldn't get home until after six o'clock. So if school's over before three, I had hours to just fuck around at home. And, you know, it just, it ended up thankfully being again, playing guitar and not going out and trying to get fucked up or something. And I would, uh, I would sit down with Lois of the Low, mm. uh, A Lifeless Plagued, and Ill Blood. And I would just play along to the whole thing. And it's funny because, like, you know, a lot of, as you grow up, you, you meet people and I've gotten to to befriend the, the guys who wrote those songs. And to be able to tell them that and to kind of see the, like, wow, and then the holy fuck, <laughs> I'm old kind of thing <laughs> flash over their eyes. At the time was funny, and now I'm realizing that like I'm surely going to meet someone someday that was like, oh, I I used to listen to this when I would come home from high school, this isolation record, and I'll fucking jump off a cliff. <laughs> I love those those three albums are fucking classic bangers, though. Yeah, um, those that's it for me. That, that mine, my biggest of those three would be lowest of the low. I'm just a terror hard, you know. I'm a terror obsession mm -hmm. fan. Um, you know, let's then look at the next kind of chapter of high school time you know you're getting into punk you're getting into hardcore a bit you know you're you know into guitar 
Are you yeah. solely focused on just, you know, your instrument and fucking around with mates or are you looking at a career path? Because it's quite an interesting time for kids growing up that are in bands where their focus was in the last years of their high school. Um, no, definitely there was never, ever any money. Even, I mean, Harm's Way, I'll, I'll come back to the question, but Harm's Way, you know, we, our, we started in 2006, our first tour was 2008. We didn't turn a profit until 2012, like where we made money on a tour and each got like some money to go home with. And that was, you know, five, six years of touring of making just absolutely no money. So all the bands before that are con concurrent with Harm's Way. We were making no money. So the idea of it being a career possibility it was just like not even on the table. Because I look, I knew I wasn't Eddie Van Halen and I knew I couldn't be Jimmy Page. And I also wasn't interested in trying to, to be like a pop band or like, I don't even know what was popular at the time in high school. Like I can't recall, but I didn't want to be fucking Hoobastank or the postal service or whatever, you know, like I, I like, I wasn't interested in that. I just knew I wanted to play aggressive songs and I'll figure out some miserable life scratching an existence out of the dirt. Like I am now, but like, you know, I, I knew, I knew that I was going to be in bands that's one thing that I knew even when I first when I first like got a guitar and like I said, got into Blink and got got more and more into punk and, and started meeting people and stuff. I knew I was going to be in a band. So that was really the goal, you know, and it starts off just like anything else. It's like, oh, if we could just play a show, that'd be awesome. Oh, if we could play, you know, direct support, that'd be awesome. Oh, man, if we could headline at home, that'd be so cool. And then it's two shows in Indiana. We live in Chicago. It's right next to Indiana. It's like, Oh wow, that's fucking great. And then it's a little weekend tour in a week and then a full us. And you know, and then you kind of, you fly to stuff and you just kind of evolve from there. And there's always like new goals on the horizon. So I think that was the motivator, hmm. but definitely, I mean, even now, even so harms, we went like full time as a band in 2018. And then not that obviously stopped last year. So even for that long, like we all had to get jobs. Like you're still at, at our level, at least, you know, you're still, it's still not a career. Hmm. It's something that I wish was my career. It's definitely the thing I'm most passionate about, but it's like, it's, it's something that you have to supplement with something else, especially if you're living on your own. Like I obviously am. And, you know, so it's, it was never, it was never on the table. It wasn't even considered. It was more of like a, it would be fun to have this adventure with my best friends and we'll figure out the money somehow kind of a thing. What about for you? You mentioned earlier that, you know, you went to a couple of like shows early on, but what age did you start kind of venturing out and seeing, you know, I don't want the, the phrase scene, but, you know, local scene around you, what age were you and were you noticing that it was vibrant or was it a bit lackluster? Like, oh. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the first show I went to was no effects at the house of blues here in Chicago. And I don't know, you know, if you know it, house of blues in America is like a pretty, it's a corporately owned, you know, chain of venues. So it's like not punk. And, you know, I, I was like in a push pit, you know, and I was like, Oh yeah, that was fun. But like, everybody was like fucked up. Like the whole audience were all drunk. 
I got beer splashed on me and I had to go to, you know, health class the next morning or whatever. <laughs> and I didn't feel like it was really for me because, you know, punk rock shit is, can be kind of snobby, blah, 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 whatever. Um, and then I remember I was 15, so I couldn't drive yet. Cause yeah, cause my dad had to drive me and Chris, we grew up like 30 minutes outside of the city. My dad picked me and Chris up, up from school and drove us into the city to a venue called the fireside in Chicago, which for a long time you can Google or you can YouTube rather AFI at the fireside, uh, alkaline trio at the fireside earth crisis at the fireside, like name a band. They played the fireside. It was like the Midwest CBGBs. It was the Chicago CBGBs. It was just like the venue. They had everything. It was like a disgusting pit, but it was perfect. And the first show I went to, and this was like the first real Chicago hardcore show that I went to, it was American Nightmare opening, Every Time I Die, Suicide File, and The Hope Conspiracy. Ooh, that was the package. Nice. Yeah, and I was 15. I was wearing my little stand and fight straight edge hoodie and I punished, I was really into American nightmare punished West just the whole time trying to grab the mic while they were playing. But like I met some people and it was kind of cool. And then a little while later there was another show, which again, I couldn't drive to Chris and I went and it was like a, a smaller, like a, like a, um, a vet hall, like a DFW hall, VFW hall, excuse me. Um, it was at a place called Darien in Illinois, and it was a, a much smaller show. And it was the stand. It was a stand and fight show, which is the dude from Ten Yard Fight. Hmm. And I was really into Youth Crew. Uh, youth Crew was actually my first like after the initial punk wave of getting into hardcore, like the more punk kind of West Coast shit. Then I discovered Youth Crew, and and right around that time, we were all me and Chris were in a Youth Crew band called Double Crossed. And Double Cross started playing shows with actual like Chicago hardcore bands. And we were kind of getting noticed because we're playing shows. We eventually put out, we put out a seven inch and we were 15. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were little straight edged fucking assholes and we would cover songs and guys would like have fun and blah, blah, blah. And um, we were at the stand and fight show and I, that's where we met James. And it's also where we met John Caution from Rika Nachos, who eventually the four of us, me, Chris, James, and John, would start Harm's Way. And we met at a, a stand and fight show in Darien, and it must have been 2002. Must have been 2003. is before I had my license. So. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that scene that you're talking about that kind of birthed Harm's Way in many sense, were, mm -hmm. were you also, you know, because you loved music and you're obviously starting to get into live shows. Are you noticing that local bands like Illinois bands are, you know, making a name for themselves? You know, is it more than is it more than just the touring bands that are coming through town that you're starting to notice a bit more? You know, are you seeing that there's a path outside of your neighborhood that you could go down as well? Not even a little bit. No. No. Uh, Chicago is in the center of the country. And in America, well, at the same as in Australia, but that's kind of because it has to be. Bands really only did well on the coasts. Um, and at that time, if you weren't from Boston or sounded like a Boston hardcore band, either the American Nightmare Carry On, you know, Carry On not being from Boston, but being a Bridge Nine kind of thing, being a Boston sounding 
or a, like aesthetically Boston band, like the horror show, which again, that's not Boston, but I'm just talking about like the Northeastern vibe of like scratchy logo and like, I don't, you know, kind of sc- almost, almost scary, but like sad, scary. Mm. Or if you didn't sound like mental or righteous jams or any of the like locking out stuff, it was just like, you, you for sure were not going to be as popular and it was, is, was difficult and has remained difficult for every Midwestern band ever up until like legitimately up until and including knocked loose. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wild because, um, you know, there are a lot of people who booked shows in Chicago during the waxing and waning of, of popularity of the music when people are there for four years for college and then leave and you see shows dip. I mean, put it this way, have heart played in Chicago to seven people at one point. (laughs) Uh. Have heart played to 10,000 people two years ago. Right. Yeah. So that's like, that's not an exaggeration. I wasn't even there, but I think James was there. Like that's a true thing that happened. And it's just kind of like never been the easiest place. You, it, it took a lot of, I mean, our hometown shows didn't even start to get sold out until after post-human. That's 12 years of being a band. Fuck. You know, and, and, and maybe, and look, that's also not to say that it's like, hey, just because you put out records and tour everywhere else, you should have good hometown shows. You know, maybe that's an indicator that like it takes a lot more than that as we're evidence of. It's like, yeah, you got to be involved. You have to help book the shows, which admittedly we really didn't. We weren't very involved ever in booking shows on our own, like that we didn't play or anything. So there are other people in Chicago who have really built up the city very, very well within the last few years. And there's a fest now. And like Chicago is becoming a thing that is like, you used to play it on a, on a U.S. tour because you had to, because it's in between a bunch of nonsense. But now it's like, oh, good, we get to play Chicago because then we can go to Louisville and then we can go down. So, you know, like it all it works into the routing. And that, uh, you know, it's and it's funny, too. Um, I found a, an old video on YouTube that someone had put up of like there used to be these shows called Hardcore Halloween that would obviously would happen every Halloween. And it was in St. Louis. And St. Louis from Chicago is about a five hour drive. So again, we would have one of our dads drive us down there and we'd play and everyone would wear a costume, you know, and it's like really silly. I was a cow one year. <laughs> and I remember thinking there were just fucking hundreds of people at those shows. And I found a video online of, of one of them that I was for sure at. And there was maybe 45 people in that goddamn room. Mm. So it's also the kind of thing was like when you're a kid and you have rose colored glasses on and everything is like so fucking amazing. Unfortunately, that kind of fades away. And then when you play a show today in Chicago and, you know, we play a show and let's say there's 300 people there, you're kind of like, yeah, this is pretty good. This is, this is pretty good. All right. And it's just funny how it's like, dude, this is the, this is the best show you've ever played. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So it's, it's a matter of perspective, you know, everything's kind of relevant to where you are at the time, I think, you know? Well, I mean, without, you know, saying too much putting too much smoke up your ass you know i've had other bands on on the show that are from chicago one uh late last year karma and you know they're they're looking at bands like you now um as torchbearers for the local scene they 
look at you guys now and say, look, if Harm's Way can kind of get out of this area, which for many years has struggled, then we can get out. Um, so, I mean, it's a good thing that it is starting to improve, like you said, over the last few years, because it is vital. Local scenes are vital because yeah. you know, if bands aren't coming up or seeing that there's a way to come up, then music dies. Um, we've seen it in Australia. We've gone through so many ups and downs here. It's uh, it's insane. You know, you've got it over there. Venues are closing already yeah. before COVID. We've got it over here now that all the big known venues are closing. So, you know, if local scenes are still getting some turnout when they can, whenever we can, again, um, we need it. We need it. We need venues. Yeah, definitely. It's it's weird too because um, growing up here and going to the, to the kinds of hardcore shows that we went to, um, there were – there, there was a band called The Killer from Chicago. It's probably the most important band when it comes to Harm's Way. And a band called um, Blood In, Blood Out mm-hmm. from Indiana, from Northwest Indiana, which is basically a Chicago suburb. And and a band called Dead to Fall from Chicago. Oh, yeah. And I, I think out of all of all out of all of them, Dead to Fall is clearly the biggest. And they were probably the, the only ones at the time who ever went to Europe or who toured or did anything like that. And like... We weren't tight with them, but we were tight with the killer and they didn't tour, you know, like the killer never toured. I think they toured twice ever and they were, it was always like a Northeast tour, which is like the shortest one you can do and then back. And it was just kind of like, we didn't, we really didn't know. And it was, um, it was John caution did a lot for a lot of our first bands. Um, and eventually he was in, Weekend Nachos and Harm's Way at the same time. And, uh, you know, in the beginning of the band was like a huge driving force with us playing shows and touring and doing stuff. And he just kind of, you know, through my space at the time, just booked tours and just like made shit happen because he was booking shows back in the day. He was kind of doing that, that thing. And uh, he, that guy, I think, honestly, thinking over everyone who I was close with, I think was the the most influential when it came to like oh you could definitely do this you just you just have to do it you know because there wasn't really like a groundwork for us like we didn't know we weren't friends with anyone like how do you book a tour like what do you do John just kind of figured it out and and made it happen so you know we've mentioned before and you've mentioned a bit then like the early days of Harm's Way but I want to talk about before we get into Harm's Way convicted uh-huh. and unconquered which mm-hmm. uh, anyone hasn't heard it, you might be able to find it on the internet. Um, what were the convicted days like? You also mentioned earlier that you did get out and do kind of some touring, but, you know, convicted kind of, if my notes and recollection is correct, was going a bit before Harm's Way, and because Harm's Way really started stepping up a gear, Convicted kind of stopped. Like, you know, tell us the story behind Convicted. Yeah. So half of that's true. Okay. Um, we, Me and Chris were in that band Double Crossed, but the two other guys in Double Crossed, one was, like, really into, like, theater, and one was really into hunting and fishing. Mm. Chris and I were the only two who were, like, really into music. So we knew that wasn't really going anywhere. And there was a point in time where um, Double Crossed, Harm's Way... And a band called Few and the Proud all existed at the same time, which we were all in. 
Now, few and the proud is what eventually became convicted. Okay. And what happened was few and the proud. Uh, we had a demo that was like, actually, I still think it's awesome. And we put out an LP called the stampede and we started writing songs for another thing. Our singer at the time could never make it to practice and stuff. And we just thought, well, let's like do a power violence band and switch instruments and we'll have James sing. And that's eventually how Harm's Way became a band because it was literally the first four members of, of Harm's Way in that first uh, lineup minus the singer of Few and the Proud because we just, everyone just switched instruments and there you go. So that's how Harm's Way kind of came from that. It's just like, it'll be funny to see James with his shirt off, like <laughs> demolishing people, you know? Um and then Few and the Proud, eventually our singer moved um, to Japan. And we all, the, the new songs that we were writing were different stylistically. Uh, Few and the Proud was very New York hardcore, sounded like Breakdown, sounded like Outburst. And these new songs sounded a lot more like Turmoil, kind of um, uh, Damnation AD, kind of got a little more 90s. Um, and John Caution, who played... God, what did he play? He played drums in Few and the Proud, eventually quit because he wasn't feeling the way the songs went, but he stayed in harm's way. It was a whole mess at the time, but we had a, a different drummer, this guy Drew, who eventually went on to play bass in Mika Nachos. And then we needed a singer, and we got this guy Charlie, who was just kind of known throughout the scene. And so Convicted actually started a bit after harm's way was already around. But harm's way was like, we recorded one terrible demo and like that was it like harm's way was never going to be like a band it was just going to be like oh there's a show we'll play it'll be like rowdy and like that was it you know we all thought that the the ticket was going to be few in the proud slash convicted whatever at the time and yeah um convicted and harm's way did one tour together um so we got to you know share a van really easily because three of us were all were, were in each band but the singer charlie couldn't do the tour at the last minute so we traded off singing there was like one night where Drew sang, one night where Chris sang, one night where we had Andrew who, who would play bass for us sang, and then the more than half the tour I sang because Chris and I both played guitar. So if Chris, Chris and I could swap off easily because we had two guitar players, and uh, that whole tour it would be like, how did Harm's Way do in Merch tonight? And be like, oh yeah, a couple hundred bucks, like we did pretty good. And then it'd be like, how convicted do? And it'd be like, we sold one shirt. And you'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it was like a tour of that, you know? And that's also, we're going around the country and we're meeting, we're meeting people who we will eventually be friends with for a long time. Um, and we're playing, you know, two sets a night. It's, it's like when we met the Twitching Tongues guys. It's when we met all of the California guys who we eventually became friends with. It's when we met Bitter End. It was all on this one winter tour. And it's, it's really funny. The, the whole tour, this was back when Harm's Way was on the full-on, like, devil shit when we were very, <laughs> very edgy. And and whereas Convicted was more of, like, a straight-edge thing. Um, and every show, Harm's Way would do better than Convicted, as just, like, a matter of fact. And then we got to uh, Salt Lake City, and that swapped for one night. There was one night where the straight-edge thing, like, conquered the anti-God thing. It's because we were in a Mormon city where most people at those shows aren't drinking anyway. And they also might be kind of religious at the time. So they're not going to wear a shirt that has some anti-religious thing on it. And it was just like a funny, 
like, huh, about that whole tour. But it was pretty obvious after after that tour that like convicted just wasn't really going to work. And it wasn't fair to the guys who weren't in harm's way to expect them to kind of like wait around for when we were going to be able to do something with convicted. And uh, after Unconquered, we did one demo. And I think that's the best thing we ever did was the demo. And then we played our last show with Cro-Mags and Marauder in Chicago. And it was fucking awesome. Yeah, sick lineup that one too on the final show. Um, yeah, that demo, 2009 demo too. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's, a good, that's a good demo. I, think, I don't think Unconquered's that bad. I think it's, I think it's still it's got some jams on it. Still sexy. I don't think it's that bad either. I, I can be pretty hypercritical of our music history. Hmm. Um, so I, I, even, even today I was like, okay, if we talk about old music, take it easy. It's not that bad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> telling myself to, to go easy on us. But, um, I don't think Unconquered is that bad either, but I do think we record it. The, the way in which we recorded that and where we recorded it, it was just like a whole fucking nightmare. And it, it was in Peoria, which is in like the middle of the state. And it was like a whole nightmare and the mix was all fucked. It was just like, it was just like a whole thing. That record kind of sounds like you're you have like earmuffs on or something. Like there's something unclear about it, and it's always bothered me. But song wise, I think it's good. And then also when we played, you had Drew, who was a very good drummer, Charlie, who was a monster singing, and then me, Chris, and James, who are just like youth crew freaks, like losing our minds, jumping all over the place. So we were a very, I think we were a very good band. We were very tight and very fun to see, you know. So I, I look back on that band with like fondness, but it just was kind of one of those things that just like maybe could have done something. Um, but there was just something else that we were all involved with that, you know, unfortunately kind of prevented convicted from really going anywhere. Well, I mean, you know, that, that band, like you mentioned and his, his harm's way. And um, I've, I had James on the show and one thing I was, very entertained about which I didn't realize when I first got into the band was the initial phase of what you guys were doing live and musically with the whole mm-hmm. get up um, <laughs> and how he was, you know, singing about beating the shit out of people and these kind yeah, of things. Frat, frat boys, frat boy yeah, style. Yeah, frat boy beatdowns. Um, yeah, <laughs> obviously this stage, the early stage of the band you guys didn't think anything serious of harm's way, obviously. No, it was, um, I wouldn't call it a joke. I think our Wikipedia even still says that we were a joke band. We definitely weren't like a joke band, but we were also not like a serious band. Like we wanted to just kind of fuck around and get rowdy and play really fast songs with like a you to today cover and then an infest cover. And then that's it, you know? That's that's what we wanted to do. So I would say we weren't we were less serious than we obviously ended up being, but it was still it was still something that like we had fun with and we cared about and we spent time on, you know. When did you guys start to, you know, not necessarily take it seriously, but you know, started to approach it in a more long-term sense because you know, you had imprisoned which was the kind of early days you had the self-titled ep then you had reality approaches those first you know two eps and lp it looks like during this phase that the band clearly switches gears around reality approaches is that is that what i'm seeing 
I, I, so after we put out reality approaches and we were starting to write for no gods, no masters, mm. uh, John caution quit. And then uh, we had a second guitar player on reality approaches and on actually on imprisoned too. He's the guy on the cover of imprisoned. Mm. Um, that's John Hofacker, a different John. Um, they both quit right around the same time. They actually, <laughs> okay. Caution quit. Uh, <laughs> Caution couldn't make it to a practice before a show we were trying to play in Chicago uh, with the killer in a basement show. It was going to be like a real rowdy show. Caution couldn't make it to the practice and it was going to fuck everything up. And Caution was like, well, if you guys, there was some drama going on and James basically told <laughs> Caution to eat his shorts. <laughs> So John quit. So that was it. John quit. But then we had An this guy, Andrew, who's like a dear friend of ours. He lives in Thailand or I'm sorry. He lives in New Zealand now. Um, they, he filled in and he was able to play that show during the show. The lights got shut off. It was super rowdy and violent. James broke his arm over someone's head. We think over someone's head, the lights were off. We don't really know. And then after the show upstairs in the house, everyone's kind of hanging out. It was like a little party. The other John was like, Hey, here's a check with all of the band money in it because it was all in his account. And he's like, I'm going to quit. I'm not going on the tour that's starting in a, in a week or two weeks or whatever it was. Fuck. So we were like, yeah, we were kind of fucked. But I will say, if you talk to both of those guys now, they would say that it was both those kind of circumstantial things. And then also like not being that into the direction of music that we were writing for No Gods which then from no gods through up until blinded. So for those two records of isolation and no gods, you had me, James and Chris as like the core, which eventually would remain the core up until now. Now's the first time we've had a solid, solid lineup since then. So since 2010 and 2018, that's when we got our first like real lineup again, because we have just had a revolving door. I mean, we've been to Australia three times, never with the same group of people twice. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've been to Europe eight or nine times. I think we've only been with the same group twice now, you know? So I, we just always had different people and we were all, I, I, you know, there's you, there's private YouTube videos out there of me tabbing out every song. Cause I got so sick of showing people in person that I would just send whoever was filling in the YouTube link so they could <laughs> learn the songs at home, you know? And, um, so I, I do kind of think that those guys leaving was <laughs> in a, kind of weird kind of strange way one of the most important things that happened to the band because it kind of me chris and james were all on the same page when it came to like the direction of the songs and how we were writing them and that remained for a while um so i think that that was actually really beneficial again less you know fewer cooks in the kitchen or whatever the expression is is kind of it was beneficial. So I would say, yeah, right after Reality Approaches came out, because if you listen to that thing, there's like four different bands on that whole record. Mm. There's like a, a band that plays blast beats. There's a band that plays like stomp thrash shit. There's like a weird like doomy track. And then the last song is like a Chromex song. Like they're all different bands on that whole thing. It's like a very weird record. Um, But after that, when we started writing and then those guys left and we were able to kind of, it was much easier to write with fewer people. Um, yeah, I would say you're absolutely correct. That's when things really kind of caught, caught a gear and started really moving. 
uh, when it came to a direction and a style also like, like a, an aesthetic style with merch and all that shit. Yeah. It really kind of took off that way. Yeah, I think, you know, I think probably the perfect analogy is, um, like you said, about the too many cooks in the kitchen because it sounds like the band um, kind of unknowingly became very more focused, um, you know, on what everything, as you said, sound, uh, the look. One question I had before we start getting to all these other releases was I remember around blinded time i think it was around blinded it might have been isolation always wanted to ask i forgot to ask james this do you guys like Godflesh? because you guys are constantly everywhere i remember i remember reading reviews about blinded and it's like this band pays homage to Godflesh, and i was like the fuck like <laughs> um personally i don't really know their music i know a little bit of it but i'm like i don't think this band sounds like they like Godflesh. why is this used as a reference point Street Cleaner, which is one of the first, if not the first, Godflesh record, mm. is a very um, industrial, very heavy guitar and drum and angry singing band. But they also use a lot of really cool effects, a lot of delays and choruses, a lot of um, real and fake drums. So definitely on Isolation. Right before Isolation is when we all got into Godflesh for sure. We even put out a, a Godflesh boot where instead of Street Cleaner, it says Breeding Grounds. Mm. And um, Breeding Grounds, I mean, you know, it, it's not, it's no secret anymore, but Breeding Grounds is a direct, um, like a direct, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say copy, but definitely directly influenced by Like Rats, which is a song off of Street Cleaner. And um, then there's also the industrial, the electronic song, like halfway through, uh, Becoming Through Isolation, which is like, that's all sampled drums. We didn't, you know, we like fucked with that. And we just, we just thought that that was a cool direction, you know? So yeah, we were definitely hugely into Godflesh, hugely into Broderick and, and like what he's done. And it was really cool that he remixed um, a post-human song for us on the remix record we did. And we were, we we're a hundred percent. There was a point in time where I would say like Sepultura machine head for that record for isolation and, and Godflesh. Those were like the, the three biggest influences at the time. No creed. You weren't ever influenced by creed. <laughs> no, no creed. No creed. Oh, maybe the next one creed influenced. Ooh. <laughs> Imagine that people. Ooh. Go post human with, with uh, arms wide open. <laughs> Oof. Imagine it. I'm throwing it out there, Bo. Throwing it out there. It's there. It's out there. Grab yeah. it. Um let's talk about one of the big link ups you guys had, which was closed casket. And that was around No Gods, No Masters when it started. Um and then that carried on to isolation. How did that come about for you guys? Because that for anyone outside of America kind of brought you further to everyone's attention. You know, it, it's not as important nowadays to be on a label, but around this time it was still relatively important. And for me, that's part of why you guys first popped up on my radar. So how did you link to Closed Casket? So for the first, especially after John left the band, Chris was really the point man for the band and still remains so uh, for the most part. Um, and when we we knew we were going to have this record, we knew we were going to 
we were going to put it out. We had put out the previous stuff. Um, well, this is closed casket, but even for closed casket, and especially for isolation, we knew that we were going to want to put it out on something different because we had been putting stuff out on organized crime records, which is a record label here in Chicago, which like, you know, no, you know, Clint, I'm, I'm sure would say this, like it was a, a record label, but it's not a record label that anyone had necessarily heard of. It wasn't a record label that was, um, necessarily kind of catered to what we were trying to do, meaning they were putting stuff out that was like different than what we were trying to do, which like usually kind of sounds like a good thing, but it almost was like, like kind of diluted. It was like the, it was just like the Chicago label for our music scene. And we just wanted to, again, it was like when we were talking about goals earlier, it was just like a goal to put something out on something else. Cause you know, what's funny is the dream at that time was like, Oh man, death wish or F bridge nine was, was like a possibility. Like any of these, like at the time, bigger labels, like, man, that'd be fucking amazing. You know? And, um, I think Chris had already been talking to Justin runs closed casket, but then we played a sound and fury one year is the one that got shut down because of the motorcycle. And we, we met Justin and we were talking to him and it was just like, we like clicked with him. He was a good guy. He, he hadn't put that much stuff out yet either. So he was like equally hungry. And, um, I just remember we made the decision, I think on the flight, it was like, yeah, we should go with this guy. Um, because everything, everything he's saying sounds good. And he's, he's like as excited as we are. And like, we're going to be the biggest thing that he's doing at the time. So we're going to be his biggest focus at the time, which is cool because, you know, we were a relatively no name band. You put out something on like a bigger label at the time. Like if you put out something on bridge nine, no one's going to fucking, it's kind of like, yeah, that's cool. But when's the next, give up the ghost record or whatever the fuck was out at the time. I don't even remember. So it was just kind of like, yeah, let's, uh, let's go with him. Like, let's give it a shot. He did a good job with no gods, no masters that came out. Well, the pressings are cool. You know, like we went to Europe for the first time on that, had a lot of fun. And, but I think we, and he really came into our respective own, um, with isolation, that was, that was a big turning point for all of us because even though God's no masters recording, like, you know, there was only three of us when we were recording that record and James only sang at the time. So I played bass and bolt and all the guitars, Chris drummed, and it was just the three of us. And, and we were just kind of figuring out what to do. How do you, and, and you know what, I, I need to give credit to Andy from Bricktop from imp uh, from the self-titled seven inch through Russ, we recorded everything with Andy at Bricktop here in Chicago. And he, I mean, you listen to each one of those recordings from the self-titled uh, to reality approaches, you know, like listen to how it sonically changes all, all the way up through Rust. Huge, huge differences. So as we're maturing as songwriters and trying to figure out what the hell we're doing, he was learning what he was doing, getting better and better. And I think he like really nailed it with isolation. So it was just kind of a, it just all kind of really came together with that record. You know, we did have a, a bass player at the time of, of isolation. This guy, Dave, who's a friend of ours. He lives like two blocks away from me. And, um, he definitely had input on it 
and his credit on the record. And then there's also <laughs> Saba, who went on to play in Nails, and he was in uh, Bad Seed and in a, a few other things. He uh, he's credited on the record, but didn't record one note on that thing. <laughs> Fuck, is he doing then? So we just knew he was going to be in the band, so we put him on the record because it would just was like a nice thing to do, you know? And then we, it was literally um, maybe a month before we went to Australia for the first time. I woke up one day, I used to take care of the van. It was in Chicago. I woke up one day, this is 2012, and the van was stolen and it was just gone. So we had a group chat <laughs> and, I, and James and I were talking to everyone like, guys, the van got stolen. Like we lost some stuff, like we're fucked kind of a thing. And Saber was like, oh, man, well, I guess we're not going to Australia, so I'm going to quit. Like, <laughs> he was he was just looking for a way out, to be fair. And, like, we laugh about it now, but at the time we were very mad because he's he's credited on that record and, and toured on it. But, like, you know, he never played a note on a single Harm's Way recording. Fuck. I love that. That was the out he was looking for, clearly. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, so, you know, isolation, you mentioned it was like a big turning point. It it looks from the outside in like it was, you know. You mentioned um, touring Europe, uh, you're getting mm-hmm. over here to Australia. Is this also when you guys, you know, you're still, as you said, until 2018, you were still kind of doing other jobs. But was it looking like at this stage um, that you could possibly make this a bit more full-time or was it still, you know, too far ahead for that thought. We knew that we could tour full time and make about minimum wage, mm-hmm. uh, actually less, but we knew we could do it. So if you supplement that with a part-time job when you're home, that'll let you leave. It's fine. Now the problem is there's a guy with a master's degree in our band. Uh, James has a bachelor's degree. He's a teacher. There's me. I don't do shit. But then we also had, uh, because Saba quit, we had Jay. Jay started playing with the band. Jay played on Blinded and Rust. And Jay had a full-time job. Jay has a daughter. Jay was married. Um, you know, so it's also like simultaneously, it's like, hey, that boat, um, when you were able to kind of fuck off and had no responsibilities, that's kind of sailing. Because life, because again, we knew this wasn't going to be the career. We're not the fucking, we're not the arcade fire. We know we're not going to be making money playing this. So it's kind of like in the back of everyone's mind, you know, Chris is getting his degrees and James is getting his, his teaching um, license. I don't even know what it's called, but you know, things are happening. Um, and so again, no, it was never, it was on the table as like, oh my God, this is what I do for a living for one year so far in my life. And that was 2018. And, but surely you would have noticed that um, you guys were becoming, in a way, I mean, saying household names, not really. I mean, we're underground music we're talking about. But in the underground arena of music, you guys were getting touted quite a bit around this stage, especially rolling into Rust as well. Um, You were a band that a lot of people knew the name of. Um, was that something yeah. that was quite exciting or was, again, still like, you know, we've got all this other shit that is actually paying the bills that we need to focus on, so it doesn't <laughs> really matter? Yeah. Um, no, it was it was very cool. Um, 
it was definitely very cool. It, I was thinking about this today. There was a point in time where we became kind of a merch band where it was like you had to have a harm's weight shirt. You had to have the pentagram shirt or you had to have the Patrick Bateman shirt or something. You had to have a harm's weight shirt. Um, and thankfully, a lot of people had to have a lot of harm's weight shirts. But, <laughs> you know, we kind of became that band where it became like, oh, you're into hardcore. Oh, you have an expire shirt. Oh, you're into hardcore. Oh, you have a a, a terror shirt or trapped under ice shirt or whatever. We we kind of became one of those bands, which is I think both good and bad. Good in the short term, in that obviously you're making money, people are seeing your name, it's you know it's out there. It it be being a band where it's trendy to have the merch is is a double edged sword because of those reasons I just said, but then also because it kind of takes away from the the value or the depth in which the band is like if if wearing one band shirt becomes synonymous with being cool to this scene, then that band shirt isn't really worth shit. Mm. And, and that definitely, you know, you start to notice like, man, we're selling a ton of merch. Our merch store is doing really good and everything like, but like our shows are kind of tame or like ticket sales aren't that great or, or streaming numbers are like popping off. And you're kind of like, why, why would that be? You know? And, and uh, again, like all things that, you know, there's an ebb and flow to that. It, go, it it goes up and down and still does to this day. So we've learned to kind of not so much ignore it, but just not put that much uh, stock into, oh, oh, people know who your band is because people know who fucking, I don't know. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People know who whatever band is. That doesn't mean they're fucking good. They probably suck, you know, so. It's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, we we started becoming well known in our little world, and that was cool. But you really quickly, um, especially after touring, you know when you realize how small the hardcore world is, mm. is when if you're in a, a very privileged um, position to go and and play fests in Europe. That was the first time where it was like, okay, we played a fest. We played, we played Hellfest second on a stage. We played to more people we've ever played to ever. And we sold, <laughs> I don't think the guy, <laughs> I don't think the guys will care that I tell this story, but it's just like a fun story. I, I think it like puts things into perspective. Again, we played to probably 5,000 people. It's early in the morning and Hellfest is one of the biggest fests in, in Europe. One of them. And you know, Ramstein was headlining that day, you know, like big ass bands were headlining that day. And it was like one of those things where you, you give them your merch because they sell it for you so that they can count it in, count it out and take their cut. And then you get your money afterwards when you settle up. So we got there early. We did the whole thing and we sold in the entire day, two LPs. <laughs> And like, yes, we were, this is, this is 2016. Like we were, we were established at the time. And that's when you're, you're kind of like, yeah, uh, even metal is really unaware of what this shit is. You know, so it's, it's funny to think that you could play a fest in front of 5,000 plus people in France, sell two records, which they took a cut off of, by the way. So out of the 40 bucks or 40 euros, they took 20%. Anyway. 
We have to we, shout out. We have to shout yeah. out those two people because that they're fucking heroes. Because first yeah, sh- off, you're not buying up. a shirt because you know you buy a shirt, you can like maybe cram it into your pocket. You can put it over your other shirt. If you're buying a fucking LP, you're carrying that shit for the rest of the fucking festival. You can't bend it. You can't break it. Like that's dedication. So those two people that yeah. bought those fucking LPs at Hellfest, shout out, shout out to those people. Hardcore fans, right there. <laughs> But yeah, it's just funny that you can, you can play that, sell that much, or go over that well, or have that good of a reaction. Whatever metric you want to use, and then we could play a show in like El Paso, and do ten times as well, like literally. You know, it's just it's just a funny, it that that really put into position or into perspective rather, how unique and small, and intimate our little thing is. It's crazy, but I mean, does it, did it at any stage also make you guys want to just like, fuck it, put the guitar down, stop kind of thing? There have been a few times throughout our career where I thought we were definitely done. Most of those times have to do with uh, us getting robbed or the van getting stolen. Um, Never because of that kind of thing, though. Never because of like, I mean, we've done some fucking bad tours, even you know, relatively recently, we were just talking about one earlier today where it was just fucking brutal. And you're just kind of like, at one point you're like, how are we doing this? Like, what, what is this? And we weren't headlining or anything. So it wasn't really fault of ours or anything, but like, you know, you do good tours and you feel amazing and you do bad tours and, and you don't feel as good, but it's, it's not really about that. It's just kind of about like, it's evolved to be more about like hanging out with my four best friends in the world and getting to do shit together. Mm. You know, like that's awesome. We get to, we get to make money when things go well and travel the world and be silly in hotel rooms, you know, like that's, there it is, you know? So it's, it's not really, I don't know. It's, it's, I've never felt that discouraged about anything having to do with like, a show or a performance or a turnout or merch sales or anything like that. Only just like actual physical impediments, like our trailer getting stolen in Vegas or something like that's when I was like, well, that's it. I'm flying home. This is over, <laughs> you know, absolutely unrecoverable kind of situations. Yeah. Well, that's something that, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times and you know, I, I remember hearing a couple of times, what the fuck has been with that? Like you guys, you hear of it very rarely happening to some bands, but you guys have had it more than your fucking fair share of that shit. Three times. Yeah. Three times. Yeah. We, we had a, the van stolen in Chicago that I mentioned. We yeah. had our van broken into in Dallas, uh, which long story short, the guy who stole all of our shit from our backpacks, including our passports, sold all this shit to a fence that was an auto body dealer. My mom, <laughs> worked for the DA of Dallas at that time later on told me that the, the two guys who ran that shop were found executed. So that's cool. <sighs> and then we had our trailer stolen in Vegas, which was like the biggest, that was the biggest oof because that was everything. That was a full backline, full merch, uh, everything plus the cost of the trailer, which was six grand, you know, fucking everything. That was the biggest, um, blow that we've ever had. But then there's, we also had like little things where on our first, again, our first trip to Australia, uh, the hotel stole our credit card number. And we found out when we were in uh, Canberra, 
that someone charged 10 grand to our credit card in like prison money orders, basically like whatever the money system is in this one prison in Florida. Fucking no. <laughs> yeah. We, we've just had a bunch of weird shit like that. Um, and I really don't, I really don't think it's us, but after the third time of having your shit stolen, it's kind of like, well, fuck, fuck. What else, what else could it be? You know, <laughs> but, um, it sucks. It, it, it takes, it takes winds out of wind out of the sails for sure. It definitely like ruined one of our favorite places to go in the entire country is Vegas mm. because you can stay for so cheap and eat and everything's open all the time. And we all like to gamble you know, you could just like go and have a good time. And now we just can't stay there. We can't stay in the city anymore. We just have to leave every time Fuck. unless we're on like a bus tour or something, you know? So it's just kind of like a bummer, but it's reality. It's what it is. Where, where, which state were you in? Was it in Australia when your credit card number got taken? So the credit card number got taken um, from the, we checked into a hotel in Los Angeles. This uh, was again after another Sound and Fury. Okay. We got into the room and there was a phone call. And I was like, hello, Mr. Whoever the room's name was under. It must have been James. Uh, I'm from the Days Inn billing department. Uh, we didn't quite get your credit card number if you could blah, blah, blah. And James was like, yeah, okay. And unfortunately, recited the entire credit card number. Oh. And me and another guy, uh, we got into this hotel room and there was fucking tomatoes and shit in the bedding. Like rotten tomato, like literal rot, like Fuck. from someone's Taco Bell. Tomatoes were just like in the sheets. So we went downstairs to get sheets and stuff. And we asked the girl who had checked us in like, hey, does this ever happen? And she was at first she was like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes. So she was in on it. And they just fucking took all of our money and then we landed in uh sydney and within the first 30 feet out of the terminal james lost his passport mm. <laughs> fucking no really good great <laughs> fuck excellent <laughs> that was fun um the most listeners will probably know of harm's way because of post-human um you got to be living under a rock uh to not have noticed how big the fucking album blew up in 2018. Um, part of it might be because you're on Metal Blade. Part of it might be because you're just some very attractive gentleman playing some very heavy music. So what do you think made that what it was? Because it really felt like harm's way. Everything kind of fell into place for that fucking release. Yeah, I think I think a couple of things. Um, Nick came into the fold and was writing with us. Nick is one of the most gifted uh, musicians I've ever met. He is like frighteningly good at guitar and figuring shit out and writing riffs that I, my brain can't process. Um, and then his roommate who was doing merch for us for a few years, Casey started playing bass for us and started doing our programming and electronic stuff. And, uh, so the gift on post-human, like that's Casey. Um, I think it was, so a bit of that, a bit of a, a scene change or sea change rather when it came to getting some fresh ideas and some fresh blood in there and some new riffs and good stuff like that. I think it was, um, definitely partially metal blade. Definitely. I'm sure got some metal heads to like give the record a listen and, uh, working with Will, um, uh, uh, Putney producing that record 
Um, and it was also, that was the first time ever in the history of our band where we, we were off for, I think three weeks and just, we went to New Jersey. We did pre-production on the record. We recorded all our parts and, you know, we lived there. It was like summer camp. We woke up every morning, all made or got a good breakfast from this deli across the street, you know, recorded all day, um, went to the gym that night, played video games and then went to bed. You know, like we did that every day for a month, basically. And um, it was just a really good environment. It felt good. It felt um, fresh. I just think it was a very, I think it was like a return to form. I think like if, if Harm's Way was a waveform, isolation and post-human are two, two peaks of the wave, I think. And I think the in-between blinded and, and rust stuff, I, like, I've, again, I've been, I've been critical of it. Um, I think they're good records with good songs, but not our best records with our best songs, you know? And I think that that's fair to say. And um, I just think we kind of are are trying to, it's like a return to maybe the, the raw, um, fuck, what am I trying to say? I don't know. It was like a return to kind of the, the energy of isolation, you know, different songs, different parts, definitely different people um, mentally, but just like the energy behind writing that record and being like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's fucking do it. That was everything with post-human. There's a lot of stuff on that record where I was like, I really don't know if that's going to work, but like, let's, let's do it. Let's fucking go. And um, I don't know. I'm really, really proud of that record. Everything, everything came together with it from the artwork to the mix, to the reception, to, finally having a fucking live lineup that stuck like all of that you know it fucking hits you with a sledgehammer man like all the music does that you guys have done but this one fucking goes for your teeth with the sledgehammer this one's straight for the fucking you know i want to take your front front teeth i want to take your wisdom teeth while i'm at it like it's (laughs) i love it man like big fan of isolation i'm I'm a sucker for rust um i Mm -hmm. you know i know you you your own critique, um, which I think is a healthy thing, but I think Rust is just, I love that album too. Um, you mentioned earlier that around 2018 you became a kind of full-time band kind yeah. of thing, um, which was probably a bit of everything, the, the lineup, probably the way life was, Metal Blade, the release, and now are you a full-time band? I mean, t- let's avoid covid conversations because covid's a fucking shit fucking conversation but you know up until you couldn't tour would you still say you were a full-time band um yeah we were just coming off of a this year was going to be a year that we were going to write we were going to have three tours this year one of which was going to be europe that was the one that got canceled right when trump did the travel ban Mm. um and it was going to be europe with Madball, Knocked Loose, us, and, and a band from from Russia. It was going to be fucking awesome. Mm. On a bus, hanging out. Uh, breaks my heart that that thing got canceled. Um, but, you know, there were, there were tours in the books, but it was okay that they were going to be not that frequent because everyone had, like, side gigs at home, and we were going to be writing um, a lot was the plan. And... Since the lockdown, I have seen everyone in my band one time for Chris's birthday. 
in July. In July. So since March, I've seen everybody once in a year, and I haven't seen Nick. Actually, Nick was being extra careful because of some family shit that he's got going on. Didn't want to risk it. So I actually have not seen Nick in almost a year. As a matter of fact, the the last show we played was on the 14th of February last year with Lamb of God. And, and it's not looking like that's changed anytime soon in the States and certainly not in, a, in another place. So the spin, the positive spin that we have to take for it is we've used that time to begin writing. We do Zoom writing practices where we're all talking to each other over Zoom and then we have like a private uh, Twitch channel um, where Casey is doing electronic stuff while Nick records guitar stuff. And we just kind of talk about parts and we have to do basically remote, um, remote band practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, no, we're not a full-time band right now because we yeah, it can't be because otherwise we would all be fucking starving. But the intention to continue with that is certainly still there. Um, we are certainly going to record certainly got planned a tour. Like all, none, none of that's changed. It's just kind of this weird uh gray area that we're all living in is is quite the hurdle yeah i mean i mean it's even bigger of a hurdle when you can't see each other or you know you guys have to do things over zoom or through private twitch channels so does that mean like when it comes to the writing process there you you haven't got a deadline you're literally just seeing as it goes because you probably can't even really realistically book in any studio time anyway Right. Uh, yeah. So we have like a, a time frame with a goal in mind, but we were saying the same, like it's been a year of this, right? So we, so the, the time frame and the goal that we have right now was the same as it was a year ago, but for a year ago. So in March, April last year, we were like, yeah, around this time this year, we should be good. Everything will be back to normal blah, blah, blah. We're saying the same thing now, but who the fuck knows? <laughs> You know, you You really don't know. It's all prospect. It's all like, yeah, hopefully everyone will get the vaccine and blah, blah, blah. And you just really don't know. Well, speaking, speaking of that, I don't know what it's been like over there, but we've only just got it here and they already announced on TV that someone fucked up a doctor giving the vaccine. He uh, gave four times the dose to, uh, (gasps) to uh, a gentleman in his late eighties and a lady in her early nineties. Um, good work. Like you're the well professionals. Mm-hmm. On yeah, yeah. Tap on the back there, mate. Yeah, well done. Um, so I mean, the last thing about Harm's Way is um, basically there will be something on the horizon. We don't know, but would you at all pos- possibly hesitate? If they finally say that you guys can go around and see each other, but touring is just out of the question, would that make you hesitate writing new music or would you still be determined to get new music out even if you can't tour? I think, I mean, we've talked about this before. I think Harm's Way is going to be a band for a very long time. Yeah, but... Maybe not a band that tours, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. plays that often. Uh, we're We're probably getting towards the twilight of our touring days, I would say. You know, our bodies are not really holding up anymore and and a lot of us have uh like major you know relationships and stuff and you know real life starts to kind of creep in um but i do think we're a band that will put something out every once in a while kind of unexpectedly 
play a fest, do a short, short tour, short trip kind of thing. I don't, I just don't, cause it's, these are the guys who I talk to constantly all the time, every day, you know, the group chat since we've started this podcast has been going off with like memes and shit, you know, there's, it's, it's more than just like the harm's way music group. It's, you know, it's a, uh, we're friends. <laughs> so it's, it's more than just like, Oh, we have to put out a record or, Oh, we have, it's like, no, we want to hang out and see each other and tell dumbass jokes and stuff, you know? So, um, I know as a matter of fact, if, if there were by, you know, hypothetically, if something happened where I was like, okay, everyone can now see each other who they used to from some magic spell, but you can't tour. I would love that. Cause then we could actually fucking practice these songs together in, in the practice space. Mm. Be amazing. Fuck yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are just going to keep making music until you're 78. So that yeah, we, exactly. you just confirmed it. Ladies and gentlemen, Bo has confirmed he'll be playing <laughs> Harm's Way songs still in his late seventies. Yes, confirmed. confirmed. Be like, be like fucking Aerosmith. <laughs> still doing shit like Aerosmith. Still doing it. Still doing it. Now, before we look to wrap things up, um, want to ask you about how you became a Twitcher or a Twitch user and abuser. Um, obviously, you like your games mentioned a few times along the way um why twitch and why not twitch i guess is the other yeah. question yeah um i don't know i just i will i i was streaming video games for a while on twitch for like a few years but it just a very small group and i really wasn't pushing it it was just kind of a small thing you know i would play a game and hang out with like 10 people for a couple hours twice a week or whatever. And then uh, when the lockdown happened, especially in the beginning here in Chicago, like you really couldn't do shit. And, you know, in the beginning of it, nobody knew. Nobody knew if it was getting through masks or if it was, you know, there was a lot of mystery and kind of woo. So I was just like spending as much time as I could inside and, and focusing on, on things that I could do. And I came up with this idea, a friend of mine, another streamer who that's his full-time gig. He's very successful. He was like, yo, you should like play, like, look at this, these guys playing music. You should do that. And he sent me a couple hundred bucks to get a good camera. So he knew I was fucking obligated to do it because otherwise I just took this guy's money for no reason. <laughs> and, uh, so I got the camera, started setting shit up. And I just kind of fell into this thing of of playing guitar to viewer requested songs that appear in this video game, which also has like a huge user library of like, like there's a Harm's Way song in there. Like there's, you know, tens of thousands of songs. And I have a green screen in this room and, and I just kind of act like a jackass, but it, it like the cool thing that's come from it is like this little community that we started. And I hang out with like 30 to yeah 30 people three times a week, sometimes more, sometimes less. You know, it's always, it's a revolving door and it's just kind of a fun thing. It's a weird way to kind of stay connected with people um, to kind of feel like, I don't know, it's like a real community-based thing. And why on Twitch? It was just because it was already there. It was already established. You can, you know, for... 
especially in the beginning of the pandemic when people had like their stimulus money and stuff, I was making some money on Twitch. You know, I was doing pretty well. Um, and it just kind of became a thing where it was like, I was doing the, the job that I currently have now. I was doing it part-time. And I was like, well, shit, if I could do that part-time and then do Twitch to supplement the rest, like I'm, I'm living, sitting pretty. But then the lockdown went from six months to fucking year and a half. And, you know, it, it becomes a little less fresh and exciting and new. And so now it's, it, I, I'm, I'm almost kind of grateful because the, there was a lot of pressure to be like, oh, I got to keep coming up with something. I got to keep changing shit. I got to be funny. I got to, I got to be on, I got to try to make money because if this is half of my job, ah, you know, but then I kind of chilled <laughs> and, uh, relaxed a little bit and, um, it's taken the pressure off. And now it's become again, just about kind of hanging out with the people who like to come around and hang out with the chat. And there's no like weird obligation, you know, it's, it's fun and it's turned back into fun. I'm, I'm glad to say, but all of that, everything I just explained is my own fucking psychosis of me putting pressure on myself. No <laughs> one on earth has ever said to me, Hey, you better be really funny while you're playing a fucking Billy Idol song tonight, Bo. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's just all my own brain right there. Now, uh, for anyone listening and who might want to go in there and watch you be funny, pressured <laughs> on f and funny, um, how do they find you on Twitch? What's your uh, handle? My handle on everything is B-O-S-X-E because my name is Bo and I'm straight edge. So you can find me on anything and they're all linked to each other, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Twitch. It would be twitch.tv slash B-O-S-X-E. And uh, that's... Uh, that's where I'm at. Stream Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays. But for you in Australia, it's Wednesdays, Fridays, Monday mornings. Yep, correct. That's nice. Bang, bang, we're in the future. And, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of our listeners are into Twitch. Um, so, look, if you've got some spare time um, and you just want to see what it's all about, go in there, hang out. And as Bo said, it's just a fun community. Um, and that's important and you can find communities in many different avenues and this is a fun one and you know if you can hurl abuse at Bo and tell him how unfunny he is or how funny he is or how bad at uh down picking I am <laughs> I, I play a lot of Metallica man just just hours of Metallica and I am such a bad guitar player <laughs> well then uh. everyone can go and you know, witness how horrible he is and then yeah, there st start asking themselves how the hell harm's way have main, uh, maintained to do anything with, <laughs> with this shit guitar player. They're looking at him going, this guy plays guitar in harm's way. Fuck. That's all, <laughs> that's all trickery in the studio right there. Has to be. Smoking mirrors. Smoking yeah. mirrors. Um, right, Bo, what we do, we're going to kick things off with a, the way we finish every chat. And mm -hmm. this is some tongue-in-cheek. It's a bit of silliness. Um, uh, nearly 160 guests. Everyone's had the same thing, including <laughs> including, including James. He had it as okay. well. Um, it's called Pick Your Poison. What I do is I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two. Okay. You do not need to justify your answer, but if you're worried that someone's listening and they wonder why you picked one over the other, platform's yours. You're welcome to justify right. your answer. Okay? Okay. Yep. Would you go a pizza or a burger? Pizza. He's off to a very hot start here. Ribs or brisket? Brisket. Jesus Christ. 
Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. Chicken or beef? That's a tough one. I bet James said, well, does beef, does that mean like a steak? Well, it can mean mince or steak. Any other. Uh, then beef. And James said beef because James and I have had many a steak. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. Anybody who, <laughs> anybody who chooses, I'm going to use the platform to shame people who eat <laughs> chunky, crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> you fucking heathens. What is the matter with you? Oh, uh, Gr- that, grow up. That is officially my favorite response ever because I agree. <laughs> like, if you're going to spread something, why have you got lumps in it? Sort yourself out. Lumps. Sort yourself out. Oh. No. No. People go, yeah, but, you know, you can taste the peanut butter. Yeah, you can with smooth as well. That's why it's called smooth peanut butter. Like it's Peanut butter. Mm, yeah. Fucking obvious, isn't it? Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, taco or nacho? Taco. Coke or Pepsi? I won't even answer that. How dare you? <laughs> There's, there is no room for negotiation. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering which one I would choose, you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. <laughs> sort yourself out, brother. Just like, just like you said before, fucking figure your shit out. However, I will say that in Australia, you have Pepsi Max, and that's pretty good. That yeah. Okay. yeah, it's not bad. Um, the only except Pepsi product. Guac or no guac? <sighs> it depends. It depends on what. I love guacamole, but I like it more as like a dip than I like it. Because you know what the problem with guacamole is? Mm. When it goes on a burrito or if you get like a weird, like a Southwestern burger, it'll sometimes have like guac on it. It's like room temperature or cold on a hot thing. Mm -hmm. And that's very off-putting to me. I don't like that. I never, like we we have Chipotle here. I never get guac on, on on a burrito here. But I will get guac and chips to enjoy because I don't think that I, I really don't like the, uh, the conflict of hot and cold or room temperature and cold or whatever. So if we're saying on something, then no guac. Okay. Nice. Um, someone's going to make you a meal. Do you want it at home or at a restaurant? Um, is there an occasion? No, it's just a, just a Thursday night. I would say, uh, who's making it for me? A stranger or like a, a loved one? Um, let's go, like, we're going to go a bit weird here. Your next door neighbor, uh, three houses down. So you kind of know him mutually just by seeing him, but you don't know him that's that a, well. It's a good answer. Um, yeah, let's bring it on home. Come okay. on over, brother. It's okay. all right. All right, nice. Uh, new movies coming out. You're gonna see it at the cinema, or wait to watch it on the couch at home. If if COVID wasn't going on, I would go to the theater, 100 percent of the time. I love going to the movies. I love every, everything about going to the movies is something that me and my partner love to do. So, I'm a big big fan of actually physically going to the movies. Spend the day at the beach, or spend the day at the snow. Well. You're talking to somebody who is currently living on fucking Hoth in the middle of February. So 
I will absolutely say beach, but at the same time, like I couldn't live in, in Phoenix or something or, or parts of actually fucking all of Australia, you know, mm. like it, I can't handle too much of any one thing. And granted in Chicago, we have like nine months of winter. It's fucking miserable, but we also have, you know, two weeks of really nice weather. So, but you know, I, I so I will, I'll say beach, but I'll also say like, I couldn't, I couldn't live in, in like a, like a Palm Springs or like in LA where it's just like, there's never any snow. I couldn't, couldn't do that. I have to have some, I need the cold. What about a cat or a dog? All right. This one's tough. So in my apartment, I can't have a dog, Mm -hmm. but my landlord was kind enough to allow us to have cats. So I have metallic cat and giant squid or my cats (laughs) and, and I love them. They're my favorite things. However, I cannot wait to move out of here and get a fucking dog. So I'm, I'm very neutral on that. If I had to, if I, well, okay. If my two cats didn't exist, cause I couldn't abandon them obviously or anything like that, but let's pretend like before I had them, if I had a choice, I would definitely go with the dog. I love dogs. Nice. Um, super Nintendo or Nintendo. Well, super Nintendo. Come on. Give me, give me a tougher matchup of systems. Ooh. That's a good one. Okay. Well, the next one is PlayStation or Xbox. I was more into console games when I had an Xbox 360. Oh, okay. Nice. You know, like just, it was just like that time period. Skyrim had just come out. You know, I was, I was just more into console games at that time. Right now, I would probably get a PS. I don't. I I have all the last generation consoles. I would probably get a PS5 first as my next upgrade but i'm i'm really in no hurry i have a really good gaming computer so i'm not in a hurry what about a switch or a game boy just standard game boy yeah well like the og one none of this like game boy color we're talking like the original where it was black and white and you know batteries (laughs) yeah i think it was four double a's i think it was i would do I would do a switch, although I have to say that playing the switch in the handheld mode kills my thumbs. I can only do it for like an hour. And then I'm just like, I'm, I have a cramp in my hand for the rest of the day. I'm such a fucking wimp. Here's, but how about you answer this one? How about GameCube or a PlayStation 2? Oh, uh, PlayStation 2. Just. It, it did have uh, San Andreas. Exactly. City. That's the first game I thought of. Um, That's true. And, you know, the GameCube, while it, it was a really good idea, really fell flat real quick. I just remember mm. it was in the stores and then pff, nowhere to be seen. I think you can still I loved it. it. I think yeah, you can. Can? You can still get it? I have I have a controller right here because when the new Smash came out, I had to get the original GameCube controller. Um, I was obsessed with Smash Bros. at the time. But you're right. The, the choice is PlayStation 2. It's probably the greatest system of all time. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Undertaker or Kane? Uh, Undertaker for sure. Um, I think I love Kane. Kane is like, he's on my Mount Rushmore, so he's one of the big four for sure. But Undertaker is my second favorite wrestler. Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler. Oh, and, yes. And, yeah, Taker for me is just like synonymous with wrestling. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I was already, you know, 
digging you. I'm now in love with you. The fact that your favorite wrestler of all time is mine as well. Has to be Dude, HBK. Man. Unbelievable. Oh. I love, I love Shawn Michaels. Oh, I, got, I got into some shit. Okay. I'm going to call out Road Mics right now. Mm. Road Mics, uh, an Australian company, is a sponsor on the stream. Ooh. Bringing you my voice right now. <laughs> and my, my main man who works over there, Jason, gave me shit on the stream the other night because I was trying to say that HBK... We were, we were doing a tier list of Attitude Era wrestlers. Mm. And he was trying to argue that HBK shouldn't be counted with that. Hey, and come on. I think that's trash. Oh, no, 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 no. That's an unacceptable analogy yeah. he's trying to, uh, or oh, category he's trying to put him in. Right. He's trying to say that because he was out of commission for out of the five years of the Attitude Era or whatever, he was out of commission for like three and a half, legitimately more than half of it. That he shouldn't really count, but it's like Attitude Era started with the screw job. It, it was it that was the turning point, you know. And then like, who had more of an Attitude Era than Shawn Michaels? Well, he he had like the Stone Cold, you know, like I guess. Well, he had the Attitude Era going before anyone knew what to call it. Yeah, I. So I, you know, I'm not like a huge. I watch um, AEW, mm -hmm. and I watch like. Uh, WWE pay-per-views and stuff, but I'm not like a huge, I don't know a ton about indie wrestling. I don't know anything about like uh, new Japan or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very much an uh, enthusiast level mm -hmm. of, of wrestling, but I just like HPK is so fucking awesome. So even if, if there's like wrestling purists out there who are listening to me and are like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Fine. I'll take it. I don't care. But my big four is Kane, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and maybe Scott Hall. I don't know why. Just oh. always liked him. Okay. Well, my top two is HBK and Eddie Guerrero. So, yeah. You know, people love Eddie Guerrero. And I was out of wrestling. That's, he was huge. That was when I was leaving wrestling. Was He was the only reason I hung around. Um, mm. Just the dude like was amazing he was better as a heel than he was a face um mm -hmm. but just the attitude he just oozed it man phenomenal like latino heat man like yeah. if you ever get a chance look up some of his fucking promos um but well, i mean i i've definitely i watched fucking youtube videos all day while i'm working it's like all i do so i'm definitely like familiar with him now um you know, after the fact. So like, I think I get it, you know, mm. but I, a lot of who I like in terms of wrestling is like tied in in nostalgia. Yeah. So yeah. I saw, I went to a raw once for my birthday. My mom took me and I saw everyone in the, in the, the attitude era Ooh. here at the, uh, the Rosemont horizon. That's now something else in Chicago. Um, but yeah, I saw HBK, I saw Taker and Kane, I saw X-Pac, who was like my favorite, <laughs> Stone Cold, The Rock. It was, uh, it was Chris Jericho's debut. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah. so the Y2J debut, the Raw is Jericho, first thing he was in with the countdown when it finished, I was there. Oh, fuck yeah. That's nostalgia. Yeah. That's nostalgia. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, the, the wrestling event I remember I got taken to was in England. It was just a house show. And I remember it was Brett the Hitman Hart versus Undertaker in the main event. Um, hey. That's all I remember. Um, right. 
let's get a few movie ones and a few music ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. I, dude, I love shit like this. Hit me. Uh, Terminator or Predator? Uh, Terminator 1? Um, we're just going to say franchise overall. Oh, oh, well, then Terminator for sure. Okay. Rambo or Rocky? That's tough. I probably like more Rockies than I like of Rambos, I think. But I also think that objectively Rambo is just like cooler. Mm. But then the backstory behind Rocky and like Sly writing it and, you know, his life story is also even cooler. Um, I'll probably go with Rambo, though, because First Blood is like fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, all the Rambos are pretty boss except Mm -hmm. i don't know if you saw the the last one which was did not well it's taken basically the whole movie Uh, is taken it's fucking uh stupid um sly and sly's you know acting and voice work has never been the best but fuck man it is just dived off a cliff now like yeah he's no you need subtitles the whole time um (laughs) james bond or jason bourne Oh, dude, Bond all the way. That was one of my favorites. I've seen every Bond movie, like all of them, from Connery, all the all the way, Roger Moore, all the, like I used to, for some reason, the, the library by my house growing up had every James Bond movie, like all of the classic ones, every single one. And I had a book and I would like check off which one I watched on the book and like make my little notes and then like go through it and I would rank which ones I liked the most. And like I was full on into James Bond. Love it. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons for sure. I, I wasn't allowed, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch South Park. And then be when I was allowed, cause my mom didn't care. It was like, it was like too childish for me, even though I was a fucking child, but I was just like, I didn't like, it was like fart jokes and stuff. It's just like, I just didn't, you know, it wasn't really my thing. And I, and I always loved the Simpsons. So I'll go with Simpsons for sure. Although I'm sure presently South Park is a much better television show, but I haven't watched either in years. Anchorman or Step Brothers? Dude. Well, okay. This one's tough because Anchorman is so played out, mm-hmm. you know? I love Lamp. Like, everyone has quoted mm-hmm. Anchorman so much that it's, like, completely run into the ground. But when that movie fucking came out, it was unbelievably funny. Like, mm-hmm. without a doubt, the funniest thing I had ever seen. So, I think if you kind of if you kind of look at it like that, and I will say, Harm's Way, on our first trip to California, we saw Step Brothers, and none of us liked it. And it took, like, a year <laughs> until it got onto DVD. Like James and I both got it on DVD for Christmas one year. We both watched it separately. And we both were kind of like, hey, man, have you watched Step Brothers? And we both like kind of got it. And we all, it, it kind of became like a band movie for quite a while. Um, so I'm going to say Step Brothers mm-hmm. just because I think it's it's still, I just watched it like maybe a month ago with, uh, with my partner and we both loved it. Um, and it still holds up, I think. Whereas parts of Anchorman are like tough to watch. But dude, there's so many from that era, like 40 year old version versus super bad or old school versus wedding crashers. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like they're all good. They have their own thing. Wedding crashers is kind of my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's there's a, uh, but then 40 year old version, uh, they're all so fucking good. 
The only weak one out of that whole bunch that you mentioned, I'd have to say, unfortunately, is old school. I watched it not long ago, and it 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 peaks at the start of the movie, and then it really kind of plateaus for me. Um, unfortunately, it does yeah, it does peak. Although, dude, there are certain parts that still get me. Jeremy fucking Piven or whatever his name is. Mm. This is me leaving. This is me leaving. <laughs> <laughs> There's just parts of that movie that just fuck me up. <laughs> All right, a couple of music ones. What this one should be an easy one, Metallica or Megadeth? <laughs> Dude, that might be more offensive than the Pepsi versus Coke one. Mm. Well, I mean, I jokingly say, and I know he's listening, Dave Mustaine, but again, <laughs> nobody has picked you. Again, you finished second. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I just don't think. Um, we talk about this all the time on my stream because thrash shit comes up all the time, and it's just like Megadeth is cool. Megadeth was cool. Megadeth um, had way crazier music. Megadeth had way more talented musicians, um, but just didn't have the hits, you know? And I think takes just takes like a, a certain level of... It's really easy to put on fucking Blackened and just mm. be like, yeah, it's a great song. As mm. opposed to Tornado of Souls, you're going to listen to and be like, wait, like... What was that riff? Like, yeah, hum that riff. No one knows it. It's fucking insane. So I just think, like, I think they're an okay band. I think of the big four, they're definitely better than Anthrax, but they're just not, you know. Yeah, I also just think, you know, I feel sorry for the guy because it's still all these years later, you say he's had a career, but he still can't let it go. That, you know, <laughs> you got to let it go now, man. Not, like, there's. There's some interview I saw a long time ago where he was like, I wanted to show those guys. So we wrote Rust in Peace. Or was it? It must have been Countdown. It must have been Countdown. So we wrote Countdown and we put it out and we ended up selling 8 million records. And I I was, I said, you did it. And then Metallica, Metallica put out the Black Album and doubled it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's good. Ah. Uh. He's crying somewhere. Right now, he's listening to this when this goes live and he's crying. Um, Slayer or Pantera? That's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, how to answer that? I think that Slayer is a much more important band, much more influential band, mm-hmm. and a much... Um, cooler legacy mm. whereas i'm probably sooner to put on trend kill you know um i'm gonna say slayer mm-hmm. just because I, I, you you really can't touch those three records you know rain and blood through um seasons you just can't mm. you can't touch them they're fucking amazing uh whereas Pantera's got some weird shit, even on the the quote unquote good records, you know, like a lot of I'd kill myself for you, like a lot of that <laughs> shit. Where it's just like, all right, dude, chill out. Um, but then there's dying back. Yeah, it's tough, but also I'll say Slayer. I'll okay. say Slayer. Um, Terra or Mad Bull? Ooh, that's a good one. I'll say I'll say Mad Bull just because I think if Scott heard me say Terror, he would tell me I was a fucking idiot. But I mean, legitimately, like, 
set it off was like one of the first like it wasn't even modern at the time because it was like early 2000s when i was listening to it but it set it off was like oh shit you know like you read those lyrics and when you're a young imaginative man or if you're a man well into his 30s you're kind of like these are scary lyrics <laughs> you know and you're just like holy shit so i think i don't know i i love terror Terror's a band we've toured with a bunch, a band, probably the band who I've seen play the most out of any other hardcore band besides maybe Weekend Nachos and honestly, probably not. Um, but I think Madball, the first, you know, Hold It Down and fucking um, demonstrating my style and Ball of Destruction, like all, like all the first however many records, you know, you can really split hairs with it, are just like so fucking cool, so good so gritty so like cool story like with stigma playing and henderson playing it's just like just a fucking cool band and i think are just one of the best heavy bands that exists of all time fuck yeah. while still being an actual hardcore band yeah fuck yeah um okay last music one mm -hmm. uh cannibal corpse or black dahlia murder um boy I'm going to say Cannibal Corpse because they have they have songs that are so fucking heavy. <laughs> like like all the way through. I'm I'll say Cannibal Corpse because Black Dahlia didn't write The Scourge of Iron. How about Ooh, that? Oh, nice. Okay. Um you're playing a show, do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs? Oh, stage dives. James oh. doesn't hand out the mic. Don't um, try to take the mic. You're going to watch a show. You're watching it from the pit or by the sound desk? Um, those are my two options. Mm -hmm. The sound desk uh, for Sonic stuff, I, I I can't get run into anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, I'll either get mad or I will get hurt because I'm frail. Um, my preference would not even just to be like a cool guy, but because I like watching how people use guitar pedals. I like watching how people figure shit out in a live setting. I, I love watching any of my contemporary, like my peers from the side stage because I, I enjoy watching the extra stuff that I don't think people really realize is going on. Like maybe a, a spur of the moment set change or a pedal that does something really cool that I've never seen it used for like anything like that with gear stuff. Like I'm obsessed with that kind of shit. So that would be my first choice. But if out of the two, I'd, I'd watch it from the, the sound man's room. Fuck yeah. Um, second last one. Now, mm. both are needed to go with the other, but let's imagine they exist on their own. Okay. Would you tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Now, that's a tricky one. Um, that's a... That's a really hard one. We talk about this a lot because, you know, if most of the bands who are our size, definitely bigger than us, like every time I die is like a perfect example. Every time I die is objectively much larger than harm's way, but not as large as, I don't know, whoever, you know, fucking Blink-182. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like they're not like a huge band, but they're definitely a big band that people know about. If that band existed as they are now in the late 80s early 90s somehow magically with all their influences going back in time with them they would never have to tour if they didn't want to 
Mm-hmm. It would never have to do some package that didn't make sense, but the money was good. You know, no one would because you would make enough money off of royalties, radio play and record sales that you could stay at home and live life. And like everything else was gravy with which, by the way, Lars was right. Everyone with the changing of the music industry mm-hmm. with streaming platforms and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it it forced bands to have to tour, which like all that did, it didn't really change anything except it made people tour. And then it made the the shows that much more valuable, mm-hmm. which is both good and bad and merch at the same time. Um, now that being said to touring, I mean, 2018, I think we, we toured for like eight months out of the year and it was a fucking whirlwind and it was like a rough one. And I, I don't know if I could do that indefinitely. Mm. Um, so I'll probably say now, if you asked me this 10 years ago when I was 23, I would say, yeah, I'll tour forever. No problem. But now I would probably much rather, <laughs> much rather record if, if they could exist independently. Yeah. And the last one, it's the only triple one. I'm going to give you your all time favorite album. Would you like it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Oh, wow. The phone is a good twist. Um, definitely not CD. I, You know, we had ice storms uh, last week in Chicago. I, My internet was gone for about a day and a half. I have a bunch of DVDs. I do not have a DVD player <laughs> in this apartment. I don't have an optical drive um, in my computer, in my MacBook, nothing. So CDs are out. Um, I think if it's a record that I love, you said my favorite record, mm-hmm. if I could get like a, a, like an actual, you know, early pressing, if not first press of like, I don't know, master of puppets, mm-hmm. I'll absolutely take that over my, anything having to do with my phone. You know, I don't really collect vinyl, but I do collect vinyl that I care about, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, I have a couple Zeppelin records. I have a couple uh, I have every nails record. It's one of my favorite bands of all time, you know, Danzig records, like stuff like that. I, I love taking that shit apart and reading what Trent Reznor put in the, the broken EP liner notes, even though I think I only have that on CD regardless the, it's the same idea. No, I have that on tape. It's the same idea. Like it's cool to me to like, or like I have a, I have a slow, deep and hard typo negative cassette that Roadrunner. I don't even know if Roadrunner put out the, yeah, they did. Uh, but I have the cassette tape and it's like, I know that Peter Steele designed that and like helped design the layout. And it's like, it's cool, even though it's probably not the first press of the tape, it's cool to take that thing apart and look at like knowing how meticulous someone was so that the seams of the folds in the cassette liner don't like interrupt the lyrics or mm-hmm. something. Like I I just enjoy figuring, like looking at that and like figuring out how much someone cared about their project. And I just, you know, obviously you're not going to get that over the phone. So I would say vinyl. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, that was a phenomenal end to a phenomenal conversation. Um, I've got to f- first say a lot of love, a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for you, for you having time for me, uh, for you doing this. Uh, means a world as a fan, but it was also just a lot of fun. Excellent. You, hey, I, I, you know, I've done a few of these, 
especially over the last year or whatever, not always music based or based around the band or whatever, but you know, a, a few of them. And you were very good with your notes and knowing when shit came out and what was happening when and stuff, even to the point where I had to like, I was like second guessing myself. So well done. Very, really well done. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I get, I constantly get people say you do homework. Uh, well, that's a yeah, whole lot. You, you do your homework. That it's, is for sure. It's a whole idea, man. Like, I think it's quite weird. Um, if you go to have a chat with someone, especially when it's about their kind of bands and you don't know anything that's happened. Um, probably also helps that I'm, you know, like I'm wearing fucking harm's way shorts. So I'm a harm's way <laughs> fan. So that, that helps a, as well. There's a synergy. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but dude, look, do what you guys do. I know it's all weird at the moment, but uh, if you ever hopefully one day get back to Australia, um, I'll take you out for a meal with no guac on <laughs> your meal. Lovely. All right. I'll take you up on that. Um, but I'll, I'll also stay in touch, man. And again, um, thank you for being you and thank you for giving your time to me. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Good. Really good talking to you. All right. Thanks, Bo. Take care. Later. Uh, bye.
So that was my chat with Bo of Harm's Way. At the end there, the first track you heard was Become a Machine. The second track was called Human Carrying Capacity. Both of those are off the band's most recent album, Post Human. And the third track you heard was titled Amongst the Rust, which is from their album titled Rust. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it, consume that discography. If you're into physicals, there are CDs and vinyls aplenty online. Make sure you grab one. And lastly, if you're into merch, get yourself a shirt, get yourself a hoodie, get yourself some moss shorts. I have to take this moment to thank Bo again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I'll stay in touch. Definitely doing a fucking part two, brother. You're a legend. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 153. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.